Welcome back to Balancing Chaos with Kelly and Gretchen. And this week we were able to interview one of my friends, Deborah, about her experience with uh, metastatic melanoma. And when I asked Deborah if she would be part of this, I said I really I was excited to share her story. But I said, I really wish we were talking about your life in New York City or your life as a librarian or literally anything else other than what it's like to have a metastatic cancer. Um, She has a really important story to tell. I don't like to say great because it's not great, but it's important. And hopefully you will be inspired to throw on that sunscreen, put on the hat and be more knowledgeable about melanoma. I'd say a positive side of the story is that when I asked Gretchen how she knew Deborah, she said, oh, she's my computer friend. (laughs) (laughs) I have a lot of computer friends, but we really appreciate Deborah taking the time to share her story. And we hope that you take the time to hear her story. So today we are joined by Deborah, who has a very important story to tell. And I wish I wish she didn't. But uh Deborah, can you introduce yourself and tell us about your story? Sure. Hi, I'm Deborah, and um, currently live in Brooklyn, New York, but I'm going to be moving to the Washington, D.C. area this summer with my family. Um, I'm 46, and for the past five years, I've been dealing with um, malignant melanoma and metastatic melanoma. Um, which was caused by childhood sun exposure and sunburns. Mm. I have two sons, ages 11 and 8. And um, so since I've been dealing with this for five years, I think that they probably don't really remember a time when I wasn't, you know, sick. So that kind of sucks. Whenever I, whenever I hear about people and and honestly especially with melanoma because I feel like and well in Maine we don't get a ton of sun exposure so I'm always wondering how do you well there's tanning people do oh yeah yeah, I have a whole rant about that Mm -hmm. because because she and I both work with college students you Mm -hmm. must your nursing students probably do not not really my I have students that rave about tanning and I'm always like it's like coming in and saying, I just smoke three packs of cigarettes. It's, I feel so much better now. And it's like, no. Yeah. But how yeah. how did you first discover, what made you think you might have a problem? Uh, so um, I started going to a dermatologist probably, I'd say in my early 30s, because um, my dad had always had a lot of skin problems you know he was going to the dermatologist regularly he had never had melanoma removed but plenty of things removed and I realized that you know being as covered with freckles as I was that I should probably and you know being a redhead I should probably you know get checked out so the very first dermatologist I went to see in New York um, she was kind of a kook um, but she she saw me, she looked at me, and she just started screaming at me. She said, all these freckles, you shouldn't have these. She said, all of this is sun damage. Mm-hmm. And, it, you know, you, you never should have been in the sun. And did you get sunburn as a kid? Yeah, sure, I got sunburn as a kid. So it was like, you know, I I thought, all right, well, if I just, you know, go to the dermatologist, um, 
fairly regularly, then I'm going to be okay because I'll catch whatever it is. And so then when I moved to Brooklyn, I switched to a different um, dermatologist who was closer. And um, so there was this spot on my, I had all kinds of stuff removed and it was never anything. And I had this spot in the middle of my back. So really right where like your, the clasp of your bra would hit. And um, it was just kind of red and raw. And um, so, you know, eventually my dermatologist was like, yeah, we should take a look at it. So he biopsied it and it was fine. Um, and then it never really healed up. Like it was just in that spot. And I was like, well, maybe it's my bra that's like whatever. And like I would lie on top of that spot, like when I was over the like exercise ball at the gym and I just always so you know a couple of years later he's like yeah well maybe we should check it out again and it turned out that it was melanoma mm -hmm. and um you know they, they tell you all the different signs that you should you know check for when you're looking at an you know irregular mole and most people think that melanoma is just like this big black spot that shows up and it's irregular shape or whatever but this was just skin that didn't heal and that actually turns out to be um an indicator of melanoma as well hmm. so so um so i um got those results i was referred to uh, a surgeon um at uh, you know nyu hospital and had surgery and they did um, a sentinel lymph node biopsy to make sure that it hadn't spread to my lymph nodes and it hadn't. Um, but what the pathology report said was it was melanoma in transit, which meant, you know, there might be cells on their way to doing something bad. Mm. So I had um, like five sessions of radiation after that and that, um, then I was good. So that put me into like July of 2013. And then they scanned me every six months after that. And I was okay until September of um, 2014. I had a CT scan and they found spots on my lungs. And those, and then they did a lung biopsy and that's like the whole aside I can talk about because um, following a lung biopsy, sometimes your lung can collapse. And so they keep you for observation for a couple hours. And um, I was fine. So I went home. And then the next morning, I walked my kids two blocks to school. And I was so out of breath. And I called and they're like, yeah, you should come in. And um, yeah, I had to be in the hospital for like... 36 hours because my lung had collapsed. Um, anyhow, so then um, I was referred to a medical oncologist and she said, you know what, your timing is amazing because this was fall of 2014. She said, if you had come here, you know, two, three years ago, like for years, there really wasn't any, there weren't any effective treatments for melanoma. They would try chemo, but it largely was not effective and and it was just killing people. It's still killing a lot of people today, but um, there's been a couple of game changers and one of them is something called immunotherapy, which is um, 
they treat you with a type of, I'm not going to get like too far into the science or I'll paint myself into a corner, but <laughs> basically the way that immunotherapy works is that it removes the breaks on your immune system. There are things within your immune system that under normal circumstances are switched off and it kind of switches them on. And what that does is it empowers your immune system to kill the tumors, which is amazing. Um, and when it works, it's great. But the problem with monkeying with your immune system is that it can also have unintended consequences. So because I was at um, a, a research, you know, a cancer center where they do research, I was also enrolled in a study to see if combining um, the immunotherapy treatment with um, a short course of radiation to the lung might boost the effectiveness of the immunotherapy. So they gave me my first infusion of immunotherapy, and that first week I also had five sessions, five daily, you know, a, a daily session of radiation every day that week radiation to the lung to that specific spot um so i got through that fine and then i got through the second infusion of um, the immunotherapy drug fine and then um before i was able to have the third one i developed colitis mm. and that's like a known side effect of of immunotherapy it's quite common and it was really bad i was just in agony for three weeks, lost 15 pounds. It just It was just terrible. <laughs> it was really, I, I can't even believe um, that I survived it because it was really just so, it's so hard on you when you can't eat anything, when everything that you think you could eat is just turns against you immediately. And so it was rough. So they finally realized that I was I was in really bad shape. I mean, they're they're very much on top of the side effects and things. And so they had to give me an infusion of something called Remicade, which is given to people who have colitis. But what that meant was, once I had that, there was no going back to the immunotherapy treatment. Like that was not an option anymore. Mm. Um, so I got better that year right in time for Thanksgiving, which was amazing um, because I had even like, you know, we always have a big Thanksgiving at my uncle's house and, you know, my cousins, I have a lot of cousins. And um, I had actually emailed everybody in advance and like, you know, I'm coming and like, I'm doing better, but please just don't ask me about food or like ask me if I can eat such and such. Just like, let's not go there. <laughs> And instead, I showed up for Thanksgiving and I like ate everything but the house. You know, I was just, I was like, it was the best meal of my life. <laughs> I had been starved um, and I was finally able to eat everything. So, <laughs> so that was great. Um, so I think I had, so that was November. And then in January of 2015, um, I had another scan of um, a CT scan and all the tumors were shrinking. Mm. It was all just going the way it should. And that was with half of the course of treatment. Mm. Um, so I think that they probably had a good idea that the radiation would, 
would make a difference. I'm glad that I was randomly selected to get it. Um, I had been having a couple of headaches, and so in, in that same time when I had my CT scan in January, they did an MRI of my brain, and everything was fine. Um, so they, you know, they thought maybe it was because I was coming off of the, the steroids or, you know. Um, and then, so that February of 2015, I started a job. I used to work as a librarian, and I quit my job when my older son turned a year old. And then the economy tanked, and I hadn't been able to get back to working as a librarian for years. Um, and then I was given a chance to, you know, it was a temporary position um, at an academic library. So I went to work there for the spring semester starting in February. Um, and I was so happy, even though it was like an hour commute on the subway each way, it was just great. And there was, you know, a possibility that maybe they, you know, would hire me on full time. And so, um, so it was great. And then um, I just started feeling really tired, like, would come home from work and just could barely move, um, headaches again. So in April of 2015, I had um, another CT scan. And um, the morning that I was going in to get my results from the CT scan, that's the CT scan of my lungs, um, I woke up and I realized I was having trouble finding words mm. like, wanted to say something and I couldn't remember really basic words and I went to work and I um, you know met with students and um, almost was like using sign language because I, which I don't know <laughs> to communicate with them um, in the afternoon I went to see my oncologist and I saw her and her nurse practitioner in the hallway like jumping for joy and they came and they told me I was NED no evidence of disease in my lungs and I was so happy to hear that that I didn't mention that I'd been having any trouble with my speech mm -hmm. um, and the next day I went back to work and again you know was meeting with students and having trouble talking, maybe I was slurring my words also. Um, and so I was in a staff meeting and, you know, they, I, I had called my oncologist, they had to call me back. I was in a staff meeting and they called me and they're like, get your butt to the hospital right now. So I'm a pretty stubborn person. So what that means for me, like when I had to, you know, have – uh, when I my lung collapsed, I took the subway and the crosstown bus to the ER, you know. <laughs> and so they told me to go to the hospital right away for an MRI. And what that meant to me is go back to the staff meeting, wait till it's over, ask colleagues to cover the meetings I had set up with students for that afternoon, um, keep a lunch date with a friend who had just lost her dad, and then go to the hospital. Mm. So that's what I did. And they did an MRI of my brain and they found nine tumors. Wow. One of them was three centimeters in, in the area that controls speech mm. and language. And that was, you know, I had had a brain MRI three months before or four months. 
anyway um this stuff is so sneaky and can it can come on so quickly and it was yeah i couldn't believe it so they kept me overnight for observation um at the hospital and the neurologists were coming in every hour to ask me who the president was and all that stuff and um by the next morning they released me and sent me back to my oncologist who handed me a bottle of pills and this is where i've i've often said that my experience of cancer has been like alice in wonderland meets sci-fi <laughs> and that was literally like she, you know you go see your doctor she hands you a bottle of pills she's like take these like drink me eat me you know <laughs> like i'm like what is this she said well remember when we did the biopsy of your lung i'm like yeah she's like well we genetically sequenced your tumor so even though we didn't need that information to treat the lung metastases um now we know already which mutation of melanoma you have and that's really important because there are several different types so knowing that they had this treatment, this type of treatment, which is called targeted therapy. What targeted therapy does is, um, number one, which is so important, it penetrates the blood-brain barrier, and it's you know a match for the specific mutation of melanoma that I have. Um, and so it it goes in there, and like the effectiveness is such that like within days my speech had improved. Mm -hmm. I was not having the trouble, like within days. It was crazy. Of course, I was also on steroids and other things, but um, yeah. So I was on just one of the targeted therapy drugs. Um, and I took the, and I went home and I had this bottle of pills <laughs> and I took them for um, six weeks and they did another scan and everything had started to um, improve all the tumors had begun to shrink and at that point this was early June um, actually I think it was just yesterday or the day before it was the third anniversary of my uh, gamma knife surgery so I had laser brain surgery which is another like you know sci-fi kind of thing where you're lying in this tube that's kind of like an MRI machine but it's completely silent. There's just a couple of soft beeps. Like I was able to listen to like quiet classical music and your surgeon and you know, the physicist are like in the other room wearing suits, like at a computer, <laughs> <laughs> just zapping the gamma rays are the weakest type of radiation. And so the way that gamma knife works is that it concentrates hundreds of um, those rays targeted to the specific um, area of your brain so that it only um, zaps the tumors and it doesn't zap your healthy brain tissue. So they do an MRI right before you go in and you you have the, the only weird thing is that they, they do bolt this frame to your head so that your head absolutely won't move so they can be as, as um, precise as possible. It sounds almost like when you say the sci-fi, it sounds almost like a scene from A Clockwork Orange or something with the soft music yeah. playing and the suits and the frame. Yeah, yeah, it was totally crazy. So like the first time, I actually had Gemma Knife twice. 
um, then the first time um, they sedated me a little, but I was just like fine. And I was so excited about the whole thing. And like, so then um, I wound up having to have it again um, that November because there was um, on my MRI, there was one spot that showed bleeding. And when I've learned about um, brain imagery is that if there's bleeding, there is no way for them to tell what that is. And, and melanoma tumors tend to bleed a lot. And so, but they also bleed when they're being starved out and dying. Um, so, but there was no way for them to tell what it was. So I went back for gamma knife for that one spot that they had seen. And it was like a real judgment call for my neurosurgeon because he consulted with his colleagues and all of them were telling him that he should cut. And he is a gamma knife, you know, world renowned gamma knife specialist. And he's like, we're going to give this a try. And I'm so glad that I didn't have to have anything invasive. And it has, you know, knock wood, it has worked now for, it's almost three years since my last um, gamma knife. So, um, Can I ask a question about the yeah, sorry. Um, well, about the, the targeted therapy. So, was that part of yeah. the clinical trial, or is that no? And that that's where I've been so lucky is that when I have needed these treatments, they're no longer in a trial phase; they're approved. You know, my and um, so the one targeted therapy drug that I took it was working great, um, but they those drugs also have side effects and um i'll never understand why um so many people you know go on these medications and and they just can't stay on them the most one of the most common side effects is really high fever like you wind up in the hospital with fever like 104 fever mm. and you have to go off the medication and um, I, I know a lot of people that that's happened to. It happens all the time. Um, but I have never, not once, dealt with that. Never had a fever, never broken a fever. Um, however, what happened when I was on just the one targeted therapy was um, I had the souls that, because of the pathways along which this therapy works, it also affects, it will have effect on your skin. And I had a thickening of my, the soles of my feet, it, like like really bad calluses, but like way worse than that. And it was not from walking, but just coming from inside like this. And so it was super painful. And so um, at a certain point I had to start taking another targeted therapy. So now I'm on a combination therapy um, and the crazy thing is you're taking two medications and you would think that the side effects would duplicate, but they actually cancel each other out oh, wow. so that adding another targeted therapy actually helped the condition of my, my skin. It was really, um, it can also, um, targeted therapies can cause new primary skin cancers to develop so you always have to be on your guard and then um because it seems to be my condition in life that i always seem to be like the outlier in every situation 
Um, the thing that has bothered me the most when I've, since I've been on targeted therapy and I'm still on it is, um, eye side effects. I developed, um, iritis, which is the, uh, inflammation of the iris of the eye. And the first time, I think this was when I was still just on the one targeted therapy drug. The first time I got it, it was like, I woke up at like five in the morning. I felt like someone was stabbing me through the eye. It was so painful. Um, so you know how many people in the trial group got any kind of eye side effect? It was like 1%, literally one person <laughs> in the trial group dealt with this. So like, you know, my oncologists even haven't seen it that much. So I really had to like, I had to go to my ophthalmologist. Luckily, I'm a librarian and I know how to use PubMed. <laughs> and I downloaded a couple papers. I'm like, yeah, and there had been at that point, luckily a paper or two about the ocular side effects of these, these treatments. And here I am teaching my ophthalmologist and he, to his credit, was like so willing to learn, took a photo of me, asked if he could talk about me to his students. And like, you know, it, it's really, it was a wonderful thing. It like was this partnership, mm. you know, I had to see a retina specialist for a while because I had, you know, inflammation. Anyway, um, so that um, was annoying, but like I got to the point where when I had a flare-up of iritis, it would be managed because now I just keep steroid eye drops around the house all the time. And so if I sense that that's what's going on, I can start using the drops before I even go see the eye doctor. Um, and, you know, so so that's been really cool is to, like, to help um, a doctor develop their own knowledge so they can help other patients eventually. But like, the, you know, the likelihood it's ever gonna come up for any eye doctor is so slight because it's such a rare thing. But think um, about how, how great it will be when it is that one mm -hmm. weird thing that shows up with a patient who doesn't have that research background to be like, oh, right. you know, what's going on? Right. People will say, oh, I know exactly what it is. I, I'm very yeah. big on, so Kelly is a nursing professor and oh. and I work in higher ed and have, yeah. and I, my office is actually in a library. So I have access to all the journals and stuff. And I love yeah. having access to those research tools and having access to other so. researchers because it, it, for, and whether, whatever it is, it's so nice to be able to have that information. But I think that yeah. a good, you know, I, I think that, a doctor should not be intimidated by someone finding, you know, especially if you can understand the difference between peer reviewed research mm -hmm. and, you know, the Googling, Google, yeah, straight Google and yeah. ending up with yeah. other things. But if you can come in and yeah. be like, here, peer reviewed. What about this? Right. I think that's helpful. So exactly. well, I've I've struggled with some hormone imbalances since I had my children and both my OB and my primary are very interested in all everything I read about it because they have so many patients with hormone disruption and there aren't clear cut solutions to that and and you yeah. know hormone therapy is dicey sometimes so I found that they're very open to it 
Oh, good. I think it's a good sign of a good doctor to be open yeah, to that. Yeah, they're willing to learn. For sure. For sure. Yeah, as we're moving now, I'm like, oh, God, now I have to establish relationships with, I, I still haven't called, I've been like holding off on calling our health insurance to see whether they're, they would actually let me stay with my oncologist up in New York because um, it's unlikely. I mean, why would they let me see someone who's completely out of the area? But I just, I have such, well, we can tell you from being love for, for my oncologist, her nurse practitioners. We just, we love each other. Every time we see each other, we tell each other how much we, (laughs) you know, it's like, I really, I lucked out so much with my, oncologist she's she's one of a kind she has an undergrad degree in nursing mm-hmm. there's not a lot of no. doctors yeah she's a do not an md like but she wanted to be in the cancer field from when she was in third grade and read about cancer in the weekly reader oh wow so we're it's rural like how inspiring because we're the the country mice here because i always joke with yeah. about country mice city mice <laughs> Uh, I can yeah. tell you that I mean the so many people like getting tre- getting permission for treatment in another state for us is actually pretty standard fare because the nearest oh, metro yeah. area is Boston. So I'm hearing about all these treatments. And I'm wondering would we even be able to access that up here, or would it oh, require yeah. a trip? Or, so. We actually have. Pr- uh, but we, we're only now, recently, though, with the cancer center. Yeah, because they're connected with Dana Farber now. Yeah, yeah that's and that's, that's brand really new. Good. Yeah. The thing is, um, and what's so scary, I'm on this melanoma uh, support group on Facebook that's just massive and like worldwide. And like, it just, it scares me so much when I see people posting who are clearly like hundreds or thousands of miles away from a bona fide cancer center and like thinking that, you know, their dermatologist can treat that. No, no, you you need... You know, people don't understand that melanoma is really, it it can, you know, be dormant and then it can come back 20 years later. Mm. I lost a friend um, last fall and that happened to her. She was first diagnosed when she was 17. And then like for 20 years, she was fine. Mm. Well, even here, I don't... And the treatments we were on, she found me. She lived in Northern Ireland. And she found me through a blog that I started writing. Um, and she was so happy to have someone to talk to because we're on the same targeted therapy. And she was the very first person in all of the UK and Ireland to be approved to get. And that, that's that been another eye opener for me is like um, how, you know, we, we talk so much in this country about how we really should have like a national health service and, then you start hearing stories about people who do live in a place where they have that and like they have to get compassionate approval for the the drugs that I get with no problem mm-hmm. you know that it, it just access to this type of treatment is is more difficult and it's just you know they have to wait a month after getting an MRI to get their results and see a doctor and just ah you know, there's got to well, be. Well, part of it, part of that problem, yeah. and we've talked about this too with Affordable Care Act, is that yeah. it's, you know, you make a plan for something. It's like anything. You say, let's say we just say tomorrow, everyone agrees. Yes, let's let's do universal health care. It would be less expensive, more efficient, etc. But we don't have the providers. We don't have enough nurses. 
We don't have enough right. respiratory. I mean, we don't have enough healthcare <clears throat> professionals. Right. And so we have to go all the way back and figure out how we're going to fix healthcare education, how we're going to open oh. up access to residency programs, how we're going to get clinical sites for nursing students. So <clears throat> yeah. I think that's the issue in those states. Every Everywhere in the world that I know of is facing nursing shortages and, and probably provider mm-hmm. shortages too. I'm just not in that world as much. Um, mm-hmm. So I think that's, that's the big challenge. And that was always the debate with in Massachusetts when they made it some universal health care there. Then there were waits, just waits in primary cares for months and months and months. You couldn't get in because there's just there's not enough people. Demand, mm-hmm. and we don't even have like I think there's, I'm like I remember I um, have seen a dermatologist twice, and now I feel like I should see them more often. Mm-hmm. Yes, so, you should. and and I, but we had I saw one for an issue I had, and he was about 112 years old, and mm-hmm. his office was in a like in this old house by the hospital, and you went in the back door. Yeah. And it was oh so God, creepy, yeah, so creepy. <laughs> and uh, and he was and it was in a in an intimate part of my body. It was so it was like the most oh, and I was pregnant. God, I know. It was awful. Anyway, <clears throat> and he that retired or died. When I was I was training for a bike ride to <laughs> um, to fundraise for immunotherapy. And I was like riding and riding. And all of a sudden I had this crazy thing down there and I had to go to my dermatologist. And I was like, my I actually have a mole in a, in a very hidden place and my OB is always like she's Italian so she's like how did your husband keep an eye on that okay I'm like oh god okay well can't you just yeah. but, um, and then yeah. then we I went to another one and actually I think it was after your initial diagnosis I remember being in my office and I kept feeling this like mole on my head and it was just weird and it yeah. hurt and so I was like you know what I'm just yeah. gonna make the appointment I'm gonna go and I went and it was fine. It was nothing. But I've never yeah. been back. But that's I only know of one other. Like, I, that's the only dermatologist that we really have. Oh, and the waits are. I had it. I the, was referred to one once and it was an eight month wait. And by the time. What? Yeah. By the time my appointment came, the rash was gone. You know. <laughs> and the derm that we have is actually the is kind of specific on his site that it's that it's for medical, like not cosmetic dermatology. He kind of makes it clear that. I forget how he words it, but it's sort of don't come here looking for Botox dermatology. It's more like actual oh skin health just, or something. I don't know if you saw Gretchen. I just posted a photo from the, I was at my dermatologist this morning actually getting something frozen. <laughs> and um, there's like, they've started something called cool sculpting. Yeah. That is like where they freeze your fat cells, <laughs> and I don't. Then I don't know what where the, what they do with the fat sickles. But <laughs> I, I, anyway, I took a photo and of the display in the waiting room because it's just so absurd. And like I initially, my dermatologist, he's in practice with his brother and sister who are also dermatologists. So I initially had started seeing his brother. But then I started not being able to get appointments with him because he is like big in the hair transplantation (laughs) world so everybody wants to see him for that so i don't think he even practices like regular dermatology so i I see his brother who's much less like you know in demand in that cosmetic yeah yeah, so can i ask you a question about your childhood sunburns did you ever wear sunscreen i we had some sunscreen around i guess you know i i don't remember applying it very 
you know, I remember, I guess I wore hats, but you know, having this kind of hair, it was hard to find a hat that fit and stayed on my head and um, was just outdoors a lot. And like, yeah, I'd get a sunburn and it sucked. And then I get another one. I, I remember times when I would like intentionally like go to the backyard and like lay out oh yeah baby oil hawaiian tropic Mm -hmm. no baby oil never but oh my god we used to do that and see up here i i don't remember the only time i ever remember using sunscreen was when i was 16 or 17 years old and we were on a florida vacation and we used yeah. it. And I remember my sister and I still got, my sister got sunburned and you could see on her back, there was a handprint from where whoever was rubbing it in stopped. Oh. And I remember we had to help each other get undressed because we were, it was the most horrible sunburn oh. we'd ever had. But up in Maine, yeah. we both like, were very, like, I kind of have olive undertones. So we just kind of tan and, yeah. but I remember having tanning lotion, but I never remember sunscreen until I was yeah. really an adult. Yeah, there was like some copper tone, 15. I think we had it. We probably had the same bottle for like five years. Right. Whatever. So what yeah. do you do with your kids now? <laughs> I um, worry. I browbeat them. Um, they wear long sleeve rash guards um, in the pool. Um, hats are non-negotiable before they go to school in the morning um if it's going to be sunny they got to put on sunblock um they went to overnight camp last summer for the first time and i sent each of them like three full bottles of sunblock and i know that like you know it's so much easier for kids to have the spray stuff and like then they were were talking about how the spray stuff isn't good (laughs) because whatever so, you know, I just sent them with lotion. They knew how to put it on. They came back, like, with these bottles unopened. Ooh. And I just, I freaked out. I really did. I, like, you know, I was really upset. Yeah. And, like, I got to say, one of my kids it has more of the tendency to tan. He has more, like, my husband's complexion. And one of them is just like me. Mm. And so... You know, I told him, you just, you can't do that. Like, he was good. I, we think post photos every single day, so I could see he was good about wearing his shirt in the pool. But, you know, like, I gave them good sun hats. But, of course, they wanted to wear their baseball caps because that's what everybody else was doing. Mm-hmm. Um, so I got in touch with the camp, and I told them how disappointed I was. And they, they were shocked to hear about it. Like, I guess they hadn't really been following closely so i i you know i've been in touch and they they were back in touch with me a couple weeks ago and i like referred them to a couple different um associations that can send them materials for their training and i I told them you know if you're gonna spend as much time as you do you know worrying about allergies like Mm -hmm. this is just as much of a health issue yeah and it's not it's not something that you can afford to ignore so you know if you're gonna make every kid come to camp having had the meningitis vaccine, right. which you have to, like even my eight-year-old had to get it. Yeah. Um, you, you can't just like drop the ball with sun safety. You just can't. Yeah, both. I'm hoping that this summer there'll be more. All of my son's preschools have been frenetic about sunblock. Oh, so they, they apply it. It's a routine. So it's actually helped my kids be much more aware of themselves even when they're not at school that they need sunscreen and they don't fight it at all um 
Yeah. But this story is, this is why I'm crazy about child health because it's so easy to not see the consequence of our actions with children because often the disease or the issue doesn't manifest until they're adults. So I think there's not as much motivation. It's not the the cause and effect isn't as immediate. And this is why I get wound up about the lunches and recess and coping strategies in schools and sunscreen and the spraying Um, of the. I've been freaking out about. um, So we don't have an iPad, but my in-laws have iPads and my mom has an iPad now. And like, you know, so the kids are constantly on them. And like propping them like on their crotch. Yeah. And I'm like, guys, get that away from there. And it's like, you know, right. you'll thank me later. Yes. <laughs> get that out of your, you know. Right. Area. Oh my God. Well, there's a debate yeah. about the tick spray at oh. the school. It yeah. got out of hand in the thread. We have a lot of ticks up we there. We do. And yeah. obviously Lyme disease is bad too. So it's it's like you yeah. just said it about the copper tone um, spray sunscreen. Yeah. So that has warnings that it can have carcinogens. It's not good for the environment. So it's, it is a, it's a slippery slope because you don't want yeah. a sunburn. You don't want cancer. You don't right. want ticks. You don't want Lyme disease. But you also don't want the chemical because that also can cause cancer and people yeah. don't understand that and cancer is going to it's going to climb beyond cardiovascular disease it's the second most common cause of death and we have so yeah. many carcinogens all over the place but the cause and effect is so difficult to pinpoint that people don't they're not as passionate about you know if you're motivated and passionate about carcinogens and making the environment better people think you're like a crazy hippie you know and that's what was happening that's in the thread right. it's like well yeah. you can have um Lyme disease mitigation without spraying toxic chemicals like there there's a balance so anyway yeah no there's actually I've been seeing headlines about you know certain types of sunscreen that are now they're finding are responsible for the deaths of coral reefs Mm -hmm. and it's like oh my god (laughs) yeah how do we get back to like I don't know. I remember um, I went to a presentation, I think it was last year, about melanoma, and there was a dermatologist there who um, was showing, you know, just the sort of um, increase in um, melanoma correlated with, like, what people wear, Mm -hmm. you know, and how, like, yeah, 100 years ago, we weren't seeing this as much because people covered up and like, you know, in, in communities where people dress um, modestly, yeah, they're not going to see as much melanoma because they're not exposing themselves to this. Well, sun. yesterday, so yesterday we had, and Kelly was there too, but we had a kids bop concert. <laughs> our, oh, yeah. yeah <laughs> and we have this, yeah. so at the Waterfront Pavilion, which is an outdoor venue, and yeah. we left here and we all like put on a coat and everything and went down. And then we were, and then I realized once we got down there, we were like in the blazing sun. And I was like, girls, oh. did daddy sunscreen you? And they were like, no. And I was like, ah. So I was like, there should be sun. Yeah. Like, but it was with Maine, I think it can be kind of hard because we spend so much of the winter indoors that it doesn't, yeah. it doesn't, it doesn't, you have to like habit. get into the season. Like, yeah. I have to get, and I actually have this hat because of you, I have to tell you, Deborah. Aww. But I, um, have been really moved by your story and scared straight a little bit because yeah. I don't, because I'm not someone who burns. So I, so I have always sort of seen sunscreen as like a burn preventative 
more than oh. a cancer preventative. Mm-hmm. And now I see it differently. But I have this big hat that I got and it has a little neck flap like the archaeologist nice. neck flap. And I wear Very it when nice. I'm gardening and I wear it when I, I take it to the beach and then I'm under an umbrella at the beach. And then I actually have a really light towel that I put over my legs at the beach now. Like I am yeah. like, no, I like it has totally made yeah. me change we things that big, I do. Um, cabana and the, that we put up at the beach is just as massive. Oh, I have one. Of, I have one of those for the and, beach without the umbrella. Like there's the beach that we go to has umbrellas built in. And then when we're at oh, different nice. beaches, then I have a special beach tent. Yeah. <laughs> I was horrified to learn that there's a beach down um, not far from where we're moving to where they have outlawed these beach cabanas. Mm because they're an eyesore oh my gosh. like okay number one are you crazy mm-hmm. number two like your beach is not nearly as beautiful as cape cod <laughs> and no one has ever given us a hard time about that on cape cod you know oh, right. like if you've got an ugly beach i guess you don't want uh, you know cabanas on it but oh my god i couldn't believe it like what are you trying to do to people right you want people to stop coming to the beach? Well, and we alluded to the to the tanning thing. And one of the things that yeah. I hear being this far north is that there are a lot of people who are like, I tan through the winter because it really helps my oh. mood. Or they'll be like, yeah. I need to get a base because I'm going to Florida in <laughs> April. And they go to tanning yeah. booths. And I am just, so it's a huge, it's still a huge industry here. Mm-hmm. Maybe your nursing oh. students see more that they mm-hmm. Don't consider it, but I think some of the salons now have gotten into the spray tan. Though we do have like those places as but well. See, but they still I, have the machine. But see, I'm. I think it's like your son with putting the iPad in the crotch. I would yeah. not recommend the spray tan over the tanning bed because just because of precautionary principle, like that can't be good for you. You're spraying chemicals into your skin to change it a different color for at least a week. That there's no way that's not going to be a carcinogen later. Isn't it like makeup? I don't yeah, know. Yeah, but never it tints your skin obviously. for seven to ten days. Yeah. Like it doesn't wash it, off. Easily? Exactly. Ew. Yeah, and there's no way that's better for you. I mean, how is that better yeah. for you? I yeah. want to make being pale cool. Cool. Yes, I am. Well, like I know, I just, the paler you are, like... the 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 better you're going to look when you're 90 years old, anyway. Yeah. And yeah. so I want you pale just to be have cool. to run with a different crowd. You have to embrace <laughs> the the in you. Yes. And and, yeah. and mine is so I hear the students and I hear people say it just be and part of it is because you know at the peak of winter, I work 7:30 to 4, and mm-hmm. I will leave work in the dark before the sun rises and be leaving work after when I leave at four. It's post sunset so you just don't mm. get any daylight so i hear people who go to yeah. tanning booths because they're just craving that vitamin yeah. d or you know that light feeling like the sun's on them and yeah. i'm like this is not gonna work out well for you well they have they have lamps for that i know but Sad but lamps. there are people who choose to tan to yeah. do that and i have students who do it who if i said hey you know why don't you go smoke a cigarette to feel better they would Ugh, gross no that's disgusting it gives you cancer what? and then they'll go get it in the tanning booth and I'm like I don't understand yeah. like yeah. So I, I'm always trying to advocate for, yeah. for uh, no tanning well um, this, yeah, well, ahead. this is just why I think we focus so much energy on our healthcare system and how it's inefficient and expensive and it doesn't work which is or those are all true but because but I think the fundamental problem is we put so much energy into the treatment at any XYZ center and no attention 
and value on the environment that promotes health. Like sunscreen, mm-hmm. like you're saying, like they could have sunscreen little, like they have the PRLs everywhere. I will actually. You text, could have yeah. sunscreen oh God, squirters totally. everywhere, everywhere. So they, it's like they the do norm. that at our. The, so the conference I go to at West actually does have sunscreen stations everywhere because it's in oh, the mountains. Right. Like Park City was where it originally was, and I was in Keystone, and they actually have huge jugs of sunscreen everywhere. And I actually texted Dave because he's sort of involved with the venue a little bit, and I was like, "Hey, do they have sunscreen up in the VIP tent or anything?" And they're like, "No," and I'm like, "Well, you should put." some up there for the people who like I was like I would have been up there in a minute if he'd said yes and I actually went up there anyway and asked anyway yeah. like, does anyone have any sunscreen because I was so we went up to the tent and hung out for a while that was part of it but I was I was like oh it's right it's June we have to be we got to get our supplies out <laughs> you know well, yeah. when I did that yeah. talking yeah. with the kids at the school mm-hmm. um, we had a teacher appreciation week at our ch- one of our, our some of our kids school Gretchen's younger daughter goes there too and a bunch of kids stayed after school and we chalked the yard for the teachers and I had I was sunscreening all the kids and this mother comes over to me she goes do you really think that we need to be doing that and I said yes I'm like, I'm, are you kidding me I had every kid lathered in sunscreen yeah but yeah anyway no it's not an option you know but so where where is your treatment status now so um because I had the metastases that I did to my lungs and my brain. I'm considered stage four. And like, and that's another um, battle that I've had to fight is to get people to understand that stage four is not what it used to be. Mm-hmm. So I can have stage four, I can be classified as stage four, um, but I can also be in long-term remission. Mm. And that's where I am right now you know, and I hope I'll stay that way. But, you know, that doesn't get wiped from my record ever, even if I, you know, live another, you know, 80 years with no more melanoma, I'll always be stage four and need to be, you know, followed because it just has this, um, it has a tendency to, to come back. And, you know, because of all of the, advances in treatment at this point you know with a patient like me you know I continue to take targeted therapy um the dosage has changed so now I can take it every other day which is great because when I take I have to take it twice a day and I have to fast for three hours each time so you know it's nice to not have to do that every day like today I don't have to do that so I can eat whenever I want to um uh, so seriously, though, if that's like the most inconvenient thing about taking my cancer treatment, <laughs> I'll take it. Um, and, you know, there's very much in in the field the sense that, you know, we, we can keep our patients alive until the next thing comes along. And like the immunotherapy treatment that I had for my lung tumors, the the... Um, standard course of treatment has completely changed since 2014. There are other drugs out there that are like the first line thing. And so it's just, the landscape keeps changing and um, it's, it can only be a good thing. Um, I hope though that they figure out why some patients respond less well to the targeted therapy that I'm on. 
because I am what's called a, a super responder. Mm. And I have been lucky in that I've, I've just responded so well to this treatment. But it's not the norm. It's not the case for everyone. And, you know, we still lose people every day who it didn't work for. So. Were you the one that just said that the redheads have, they found some evidence that redheads have better immune systems? It wasn't me. It wasn't. There was a discussion at the park. I don't oh. have, I haven't pulled a PubMed <laughs> search on this, but th- there oh. was someone at the park that said that they'd read that recently they found that redheads have a gene. Wow. That's, genetic superheroes that's, or something. Yeah, correlated with um, stronger immune response. Uh, we'll have to look into it and validate that. <laughs> this is a park okay. discussion, but it would be, I mean, it wouldn't surprise People say a lot of things about It wouldn't surprise me. They say that we have higher pain tolerance and having gone through two unmedicated childbirths and somehow survived them, I guess I do, maybe. But how would they measure that? I mean, you'd have to I not be a know. redhead and compare. <laughs> then when I was having these children... Um, the nurses were like monitoring me very closely because they're like, oh, redheads will bleed out. Like you're going to hemorrhage and like, you know, they were like, redheads bleed a lot, <laughs> but you have really high pay tolerance, but you, you bleed a lot. And I'm like, I don't, what, what, just, <laughs> just catch my baby. Yeah. Just whatever. <laughs> Stitch me up. <laughs> wow. Interesting. So uh, my husband would be a bit of a redhead if he had hair. But he is one who is, he is, like I was uh, rolling, like, so ticks are like a big concern for us up here. And he goes mountain biking and now, and he's totally changed how he mountain bikes because of ticks. So now he's wearing long pants. But then one of the things they say to do is to lint roll your body, like your skin. So I'm like, I don't, I could never find a tick on you because you look like cookies and cream. (laughs) And he was like, thanks. But he has so many moles and so many freckles and he's so freckly. So I think I'm going to make him go to the dermatologist. Yeah, because Because I think he needs to go. And then I look at um, Willa, for instance, has this little spray of freckles across her nose that uh-huh. has kind of always been there, even though we sunscreen her and all of that. But like, I'm going to sunscreen you more now. Yeah. <laughs> so the yeah. hat. I- she doesn't have like, I, I'm really literally just freckled, like my, my arms up and down, yeah. my legs, like it's. That's a different thing. Yeah, <laughs> I haven't so. been as fanatical about a hat. Max will I make him wear a hat because he's got the very fine hair, but I never, James never wears hats and he probably should because he's very freckly and he's got that very short haircut. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So if, And we haven't even talked about ocular melanoma, which is like a whole different thing. Wow. And that, um, Oliver Sacks actually, that's what killed him. Mm. Um it started with ocular melanoma. So that's, you know, a separate screening that has to be done by ophthalmologist. Mm. Um, so, so know. even you wear a hat? Because uh, you got quite a bit of hair. I know, it's a good question. I have a hat. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, that makes me feel better because I, I don't wear hats. I, I wear it when I feel like I'm going to be out in the sun quite a bit. I, I will wear it. Um, I, I'm actually in the, in the middle of writing an essay about this whole thing. So I don't want to, (laughs) you know, spoil it, but, um, no, I, I, um, I do have a hat that fits over all my hair (laughs) and, um, 
And I'm very good at telling other people to wear hats. <laughs> one of my one of my things that I wanted to ask you is that I, you know I'll, I'll tell you I'll tell you. <laughs> she you, can't hold it in. When you are near a hospital and you see a bunch of people in scrubs outside on a break, leaning up against the building, smoking a cigarette. Yeah. Mm-hmm. What is that? Hypocrisy. Well, or I, I don't know, or it just, so I, I guess that's sort of me with hats. It's, it's, <laughs> it's evidence that you can know every single fact about anything, but it, behavior is much more difficult to change or than is it knowledge. That they've seen that, uh, that uh, maybe they've seen like the worst that can happen and they're kind of feeling a little fatalistic about it. So many I theories. Don't <laughs> I don't know. Anyway, but more to come on that, hopefully. And one other question I had for you, too, was you're yeah, um, on your blog. I, I do have to sign off in about uh, a couple okay. minutes. Uh, it says cancer is hard, but not how you think. Not the way you think. Oh, that the tagline from my blog. Um, so, yeah, I was um, I started writing the blog when I got diagnosed with um the lung metastases because um, until that point I thought, oh, it's melanoma and they took it out and I'm going to be okay. And then, you know, when it shows up in your lungs, you're like, hmm, maybe that wasn't the correct assumption. <laughs> um, so um, my blog is called I'll Live, like I'll live. Um, and so cancer is hard, but not the way you think. Um, I guess it has a couple meanings is one was – I felt like, you know, certainly at the time in 2014, there were not as many people who knew about immunotherapy and the type of treatment I was going to go through. And they all thought I was going to go through chemo and lose my hair and be nauseous all the time. So I felt like I had a certain amount of explaining I had to do. So not the way you think, meaning you think cancer is one way, but it's a different way. It's still hard, but it's hard in another way than you think. Cancer is hard, but the way you think about it doesn't have to be hard. One of the things that was really important to me was to keep a sense of humor. And I've, I've really tried to do that in my all of my posts on Facebook and my, my blog posts. It was just, just the ridiculousness of it. And just finding myself in this place. I, I'm the first person in my family to get cancer you know, which is insane in this day and age, you'd think one of us would have managed before me, but no, it was me. And I felt like as the standard bearer for my family and getting cancer, I needed to kind of like blaze a trail and, you know, not lose my sense of humor about it because I, I still find the whole thing ridiculous. I still, you know, a certain part of me has a hard time actually sitting with the idea that this could kill me because so far it hasn't. Uh, I know, I know plenty of cases um, that that hasn't been um, what happened, but I still, you know, I'm, I'm still hopeful. I'm still positive about it. And, and I've just been, stupid lucky so yeah 
So we always end, I know you have to get going. We always end with a favorite thing. Do you have a favorite thing to share with us? I do, but it's embarrassing because it's something that people love to hate these days. Oh, that's even better. It's so and it's so obvious, but Facebook. God. <laughs> oh, I've, I've had that as my favorite thing before. Don't worry. You're not alone. Oh, okay. So, okay. Let me tell you why it's been so... Facebook has been great for me. I joined in 2005 when I worked in an academic library, and I wanted to be more accessible to the students. And so I put up a Facebook profile. So I've been on there for like... 13 years that's basically since the inception i mean they should i they should be paying me i like (laughs) so much content for them you know i'm I'm waiting on the other hand i get mortified when i get emails from them like with surveys because i'm such an avid user i'm like i'm not not doing that for you because you never paid me um but just the the fact that you can create this fossil record of connections from your entire life is just amazing you know everyone from my very first best friend and I have to say like Facebook helped us to reconnect and we actually went away together um in April for a weekend and had an awesome time like catching up on the huge swaths of our lives that we hadn't been in close touch um one day, I, I, you know, all the friends in the computer from um, not just the community that we've been on, Gretchen, but also another one, um, you know, people that I've never met, but, you know, knowing that, knowing that there are people that I can visit, you know, when I go to another city, knowing that, um, you know, that just random coincidences that will happen. I posted... I replied to one of my friends from the computer. I replied to something she posted. This was like five years ago now. And a friend of hers, and she lives in Oakland, California. And a friend of hers was like, Deborah, did you used to live in such and such street, you know, in Maryland? I was like, I looked at her last name. I was like, oh my God, like (laughs) this is the person that my parents bought the house I grew up in from in 1972 wow so we connected and she had lived in my bedroom (laughs) until she was seven and when my mom then my parents you know had the house until 2006 so I had made a photo album of like little corners and details of the house that I didn't want to forget and I shared those with her and we just had this incredible and then we went out to the west coast and we went to visit and like and just caught along really well and like she and her husband were great and they had two kids and they all make music and so do we and it was just it was really really neat and like that never would have happened without Facebook but but I have to go because someone is coming to inspect our apartment in like half an hour all right all right well we will hang up with you and Um, We'll, just, we'll do our yeah. favorite things off the record. You'll be surprised by our favorite things when yeah. you get to listen. <laughs> oh, I really want to hear. <laughs> no, that's okay. You just have to listen now. You can just fast forward to the end and listen <laughs> to our favorite things. But I know you do have to get going. So yeah, I'm sorry. I, no I problem. Thank to... you so much for carving yeah, out some yeah. time. Good for luck us. with that your. Great to, good luck with your move. You. Yes. Good luck. Thank you. Thanks so much. All right. Looking forward. Take right. care. Bye bye. Bye. What's your favorite thing? My favorite thing goes right along with this. I may have even said it at one episode, but it's important. Environmental Work Group, ewg.org. They have 
a listing of every product you use and the carcinogen rating. And they just came out with, I think two weeks ago, a sunscreen guide um, for sunscreens that are effective to prevent for cancer prevention. But they're also, they don't have carcinogens in them. Because if you're lathering your kids every day, multiple times a day with sunscreen, you do have to start to think about the effect of the chemicals penetrating the skin. So it's it's a delicate balance. Some of them are really expensive. The one I buy um, is about $30 a tube. But this new guide that they just came out, there's less expensive, same quality on there. So next time I buy another one, I'm going to choose one of those. But last year, they, the cheapest you could get was the $30 yeah. without the carcinogens. And that is very pricey because the tube is about, you know, four ounces. Yeah. Yeah, see, and we do a lot of spray sunscreen because it kind of, what ends up happening is that it comes down to when you run out the door, no is spray better than nothing? And yeah. and the spray we can get on, I do take lotion. I try to do lotion when we go to the beach now, but now that I have the time to do that, right? It like it helps. But like when you're going to summer camp, they don't want to deal with lotion. They, want, they line the kids up and spray them mm-hmm. at most summer camps. So mine is also related and it's the hat that I mentioned and it's by L.L. Bean and I was hoping Deborah has to hear this because it is has adjustable like different sizes. It's not oh. a one size fits all because I have a huge head yeah, and too. so I have one that fits and it has the little neck flap that you can roll up and hide if you're not using it but if you're like out working in the garden and you really want to have the neck thing down and it has a um, like the drawstring cord so it doesn't blow off and I wear that almost every day in the summer when I go out. And it literally, a huge motivating factor was knowing Deborah's story because I we have kids the same age and I'm so glad that she shared her story with us. And that's why I wanted to have her on because I feel like more people need to hear that. And now I think I'm going to get off this recording and make an appointment with a dermatologist for me and for Dave and just let him know that he's going. I think James too. Because he's had an ab- he's actually had an abnormal mole removed when we were in college. Because I was taking health assessment and we were covering skin assessment, and his mole fit the criteria for an abnormal mole. And so anyway, we we had a big debate in the family. His mom disagreed. It looks fine, and we took him in. And the doctor said, you know, I think it, we should remove it because it had um, irregular borders and a white circle. Anyway, they removed it, and it didn't. It wasn't melanoma, but it did come back abnormal. So yeah. I've been paranoid about that ever since. And I just, I feel like it'd be good to even have a baseline. So yeah. to have someone else checking once a year or something to look for that. Yeah. So if you enjoyed hearing about this story, we'll have all the links that mentioned, including the blog and the beach cabana that I love from L.L. Bean and all of our favorite things. And the sunscreen guide. And the sunscreen guide. If you've enjoyed listening, please tell two friends. You can always leave us a review on iTunes or Stitcher or other podcast services. And if you have any questions for us, you can find us on Twitter and Facebook. We have a great little Facebook group if you want to ask questions. And we hope you have a great week. Bye. Bye.